Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century, from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK, that is at Hits21UK. And you can email us too, if you don't like social media, you can just send it on over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. We are currently looking back at the year 2007, and this week we'll be covering the period between the 22nd of April and the 28th of July. I wonder what happens uh, in the intervening uh, weeks and months there. Um, just to let you know, the weekly polls that we do, we're now not going to be announcing them in each episode. We're going to get them all together, all the winners. We're going to put them all in a big batch and announce them either at the end of each year or at the beginning of the following year. So all the winners for 2007, they're all going to be announced either in our Christmas episode or or in our New Year's episode for 2008. Um, It is time to press on with this week's episode, and as always, it is time for some news headlines from around the time the songs we're covering in this episode were at number one in the UK. In Portugal, three-year-old girl Madeline McCann goes missing from a holiday resort in the city of Lagos. Her disappearance sparked significant media attention and police attention, particularly on her parents, uh, Kate and Jerry, and despite a lengthy police investigation, the case remains unsolved as of 2024. Five people are injured at Glasgow Airport when a car rigged with propane gas is driven into a wall and set on fire. The driver, Bilal Abdullah, and passenger Kafil Ahmed were treated for severe burns at the scene before being taken into custody. Ahmed died of his injuries over a month later. And in July, the UK is hit by weeks of rainfall during the wettest summer on record. Later referred to as the Rihanna Curse, which we'll explain in this episode, towns in East Yorkshire, Warwickshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire were flooded, with some places underwater for several weeks. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows, and there's a lot of them. Uh, Next, for one week, Spider-Man 3 for three weeks, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End for two weeks, Ocean's 13 for two weeks, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer for two weeks, Shrek the Third for two weeks, and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix for two weeks. In football, Manchester United win the Premier League, Chelsea win the FA Cup, and AC Milan win the Champions League. ITV acts as its celebrity singing competition, Soap Star Superstar, Channel 4 are found to have breached Ofcom rules during its handling of the Big Brother racism scandal, and the BBC acts as just the two of us, to the disappointment of no one. (laughs) (laughs) And all of the major terrestrial TV channels are found guilty of gross negligence after an investigation into the phone-in scandal. The inquiry found that several TV shows had continued to take calls from viewers during phone-in competitions, even after winners had already been determined, and that's why... When you have those competitions now, you get that thing, you know, please do not call after the closing time because your vote won't be counted, but you may still be charged. And Serbia wins the Eurovision Song Contest with their entry Maria Serifovic and her song Molitva. The UK's entry, Scooch, finished second last. I think that's fair. Like, I love Scooch. Like, it's a camp classic, but 
we just weren't taking it seriously. We really weren't. And that Serbia song is quite good. <laughs> yeah, this this really was the period where we're like, we're the United Kingdom. We can we can do all this Euro rubbish easy. And yeah, we're one we of the big just five. Get battered every year. Yeah, yeah, not a good one. Uh, Andy, uh, a long period on the album charts. What have we got? At the start of this period, at the top of the chart is Avril Lavigne with The Best Damn Thing, which went to number one for one week and went single platinum. That was toppled by Favourite Worst Nightmares by Arctic Monkeys, which went to number one for three weeks and went quadruple platinum. After that, it's Linkin Park with Minutes to Midnight, which went number one for one week and went double platinum. Followed by Maroon 5 with the annoyingly titled It Won't Be Soon Before Long, which went to number one for two weeks and went single platinum. And then, oh, nothing particularly of interest here, just some little album called Good Girl Gone Bad by Rihanna, which surprisingly (laughs) only went number one for one week and never returned to the top of the charts. Just one week at the top and went seven times platinum. Uh, Yeah, so that only just barely made it to number one at all, which is surprising to say the least anyway after that we've got the traveling wilburys collection at number one for one week and went single platinum the white stripes with icky thump which just went gold and was number one for one week the editors with an end has a start single platinum for one week and then the chemical brothers with we are the night which went gold and went number one for one week finally two more for you the enemy with We Live and Die in These Towns went to number one for one week and went double platinum. And then finally, just to show you what era we're in here, it's Paul Potts with One Chance, which went number one for three weeks and went single platinum. Paul Potts with his one and only number one album there. Quite a few of those, I think, is uh, either their only or their last number one album that we're getting there. So uh, had to race through quite a few of those. But yeah, quite a big period there i wish we'd kind of been able to go into those a bit more but it's just so much this week so much yeah uh lizzie how are the states so first up the number one singles we have girlfriend by avril lavigne which got to number one for one week and also got to number two in the uk then we have makes me wonder by maroon five which spent three weeks at number one also got to number two over here then we have buy you a drink Brackets, Shorty Snapping by T-Pain featuring Young Jock. Yeah. Which spent one week at number one and peaked at 112 in the UK. (laughs) And then we have Umbrella by Rihanna featuring Jay-Z. Spent seven weeks at number one, called Record Rainfall in the UK. (laughs) Then we have Hey There Delilah by Plain White Tees. Oh my God. Two weeks at number one, and it got to number two in the UK. (laughs) So... Over to albums, and I'm sure you know the drill by now, so let's just get stuck in. First up, we have The Best Damn Thing by Avril Lavigne. Spent two weeks at number one, also got to number one over here, as Andy just mentioned. Because of You by Neo was the next one. Got to number one for one week, and it reached number six in the UK. Then we have Call Me Irresponsible by Michael Bublé. Nobody ever has. One week, (laughs) peaked at number two in the UK. Then we have Minutes to Midnight by Linkin Park. Spent one week at number one. Also hit number one in the UK. Then we have that awful titled one by Maroon 5, which Andy just mentioned. Got to number one for one (laughs) week. Also got to number one over here. Then we have One Week of Double Up by Robert Sylvester Kelly. And then we have Epiphany by T-Pain. Spent one week at number one. Failed to chart in the UK. And then we have Big Dog Daddy by Toby Keith. Rest in peace. One week 
failed to chart in the UK, of course. Then it was Lost Highway by Bon Jovi. One week, got to number two in the UK. Then it was Hannah Montana 2, Meet Miley Cyrus by Miley Cyrus. <laughs> one week at number one, failed to chart in the UK for soundtrack rules reasons. And finally, we have TI versus TIP by TI, which spent two weeks at number one in America and got to number 101 in the UK. Wow. Yeah, long period. Thank you very much for your patience, oh, everybody. Yes. We are going to get to the music now. Uh, and first up this week is this. This is Beautiful Liar by Beyonce and Shakira. Released as the fourth single from the expanded deluxe edition of her second studio album titled B-Day, Beautiful Liar is Beyonce's 11th single overall to be released in the UK and her third to reach number one. As for Shakira, it's her seventh single to be released in the UK and her second to reach number one. It's the last number one to date for Shakira, but it won't be the last time we're coming to Beyonce on this podcast. Beautiful Liar first entered the UK chart at number 10, reaching number one during its third week on the chart, knocking Timberland off the top. It stayed at number one for three weeks. In its first week atop the charts, it sold 38,000 copies, beating competition from Brian Storm by Arctic Monkeys, oh. no. um, which climbed to number two. Because of You by Neo, which climbed to number six. I Wanna Have Your Babies by Natasha Bedingfield, which climbed to number seven. And Away From Here by The Enemy, which climbed to number eight. In week two, it sold 35,000 copies, beating competition from Love Today by Mika, which no. climbed to number six. Oh. Cupid's Chokehold by Gym Class Heroes, which climbed to number 8, and Closer by Travis, which climbed to number 10. And in week 3, it's last week at number 1, it sold 28,000 copies, beating competition from Your Love Alone Is Not Enough by Manic Street Preachers, which climbed to number 2, Get Down by Groove Armada, which climbed to number 9, and Here In Your Arms by Hello Goodbye, which climbed to number 10. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Beautiful Liar dropped one place to number two. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 24 weeks. The song is currently officially certified platinum in the UK as of 2024. Andy, Beautiful Liar. Uh, the, the, I mean, this is the thing with Beautiful Liar. Are we going to discuss the remix version or are we going to discuss the original version? But it's your choice. 
Do as you see fit. I'm going to discuss the original. Um, I have learnt from you both that I'm somewhat in the minority, potentially, on this, but I only know the original, don't know the remix. Um, I have listened to the remix, but that's unfamiliar to me. Um, Whereas the original, I do remember hearing that a fair bit at the time, so I'm going to focus on that one. Um, Yeah, first of all, just a minor correction. I had to stifle a laugh. Um, Sorry to correct you, Rob, but this is from Beyonce's album, Bum Washer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, also quite interested about, like, how we're describing this, because it's Beyonce and Shakira, but it's off Beyonce's album. And I kind of feel like this is really equal. Like, you could have given this to Mm. either one of them for their album. Was this on a Shakira album as well? Because... I feel like they've both got equal claim to this as their song, really. I do like this, but it kind of... I needed a moment to jog my memory with this. When I saw it on paper, I was like, what's that again? Then listening to it for the first time, I was like, oh yeah, it's this one. But I still needed to get there a bit more with it. And you'd think for a Beyonce and Shakira song, you'd think that would hit harder. You'd think that would be like, whoa, because that's two absolute icons of the era. So I'm once again going to use the phrase that I've used a few times recently, which is less than the sum of its parts, um, which is that you've got Beyonce and Shakira, for Christ's sake. And that really should create something absolutely special. Um, And they are a good combo with each other, but it just, for some reason, just never really gets out of second or third gear. I'm not going to say first gear, because it is a fun song, but it just never really goes to the sweet spot to be honest it just kind of is happy to be what it is and there's a little bit of a lack of ambition there which i don't particularly like um but i do really like this and it's got one thing about it which i'm going to give a big tick for which i've complained about forever which is the mids in songs of this era the mid frequencies this song does a really good job with it it's got a really really nice acoustic guitar that sits in the middle of everything which just anchors it and gives it a bit of a kind of nice warm feeling which i really appreciated i also really like that this is quite a good combination of both beyonce and shakira's styles um it feels like some thought has got into that that it's neither a Beyonce song with Shakira popping in or a mm. Shakira song with Beyonce popping in. Like, it has a lot of elements of that you might expect from a Beyonce track, like the R&B stylings to it and that big thumping drum beat as well. It also has a lot of the Latin influences and a lot of the kind of what you might describe as sexy sounds that you might expect from Shakira as well. It's a good combination of both of them. Um, so I think there is quite a lot of artistry here and quite a lot of good craft that's gone into this. I just wish it was a more exciting song, to be honest. I think everything that's here is good. Like there is, there is the makings of something really, really nice here, but it just never gets that lift for me. So, um, yeah, a little bit deflated, to be honest, but I don't kind of want to leave on a bad point because I do really like this. So, yeah, um, just to emphasise, it is a thumbs up from me. But Beyonce and Shakira, you know, they've delivered a sort of 7 out of 10 here. They should be giving us 10s, really. So, I don't know. Why? Why do they give us a little bit more? Because this is a really nice combo. I could happily listen to way more songs featuring both of them. Um, And also, just a brief comment about the remix. It's fun. Uh, I could definitely dance to that. But I prefer the original, actually. I think the original has got a lot more kind of spirit to it. So, yeah. It's just okay. It's just okay. It should be so much more than it is. Yeah. Lizzie, how how are we feeling? With the sort of some of its parts thing, I'm I'm kind of imagining like Andy's vision of this, and it's like um, 
You know that bit in The Simpsons where Lisa's having a... Like, she's playing saxophone for first chair against Alison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, going at it to the point where, like, one of the master collapse in order to actually put an end to it. Yeah, it's a bit of an unusual one. I know, Andy, you might be the exception there that you're not used to the Freemasons remix because yeah. that's the only one I've heard for about 13-odd years. I don't think I've actually heard the original since it came out in the UK in terms of radio. Probably radio stations individually picked a version and stuck to it. And so I was listening to Radio City in Liverpool. You'll have been listening to something else. And I think it just diverts from there, probably. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention to the charts by this point, so this might have passed me by a little bit. I do slightly prefer the remix purely because I think it suits that more energetic, up-tempo style, but I think the original is perfectly decent in its own right. Like, as far as collaborations go, I, th- I think, like you, Andy, it's a rare case where both artists come out of it looking like equals. Compared to the last song we'll cover this week, where the featured artist feels tacked onto a track that doesn't really need them, this feels like a mutually beneficial release for both Beyonce and Shakira. They're both megastars in their own right by this point. I've still not checked out enough of Shakira's work, but I know well enough that she's as big in South America as Beyonce is in North America. Also, just to clear up the album thing, I did a little look. I did a little research while you were talking there. Thank so, you. this is not, well. It's technically not on Beyonce's album. It's on the deluxe version, which was released a year after. It's actually not on a Shakira album because uh, she releases one in two thousand five. And then her next one is She-Wolf in 2009. So this is a single-only release for Shakira. I mean, in terms of its sound, it feels like more of a natural continuation of the sort of thing Beyoncé was doing on, like, Baby Boy a few years prior. But this time you've got a proper world music vibe rather than just an off-the-shelf, like, Scotch Storch sample. It's also very satisfying to me that both Shakira's number ones in the UK have a prominent hook based around her name. Like, why don't more why don't more artists do that? Like Rihanna, Rihanna. It, you can <laughs> you got sort of natural brand synergy there. It's easy. Um, I do wish that this song had a bit more me- momentum to it, though, since I find that it kind of runs out of steam by the time you get to the bridge. You know, the "Tell Me How to Forgive You" bit. I really like the violin solo that comes in after that, but then it just goes back to the chorus without much in the way of progression. I feel like the remix keeps up the momentum, so I'm much more likely to revisit that version these days, but overall, I think the song is a pretty good showcase of both artists, and like you, Andy, I do like this one. And also, just before I hand back to you, Rob, I'm aware that we encounter Beyonce again, but... Since this is the last time we encounter Shakira, I'd just like to reiterate my love for She-Wolf, which is one of my favourite synth-pop songs of the noughties. Oh, really? Yeah, it doesn't get to number oh. one, does it? I always remember that from the... Um, before she was back in the charts with Murder on the Dance Floor when Sophie Ellis-Bexter was doing the BBC Sounds podcast uh, circuit where she did um, Sophie's disco kitchen disco or something like that she wolf was always used in the advert and so whenever i was listening to Potmaster when it was back on radio 2 she wolf was always like blaring out of my phone whenever i was listening to the Potmaster podcast the uh, there's a she wolf in the closet 
<laughs> yeah, it's one of those where I remember the first time I heard it in the car, I was like, the hell is this? <laughs> like, are you sure this is Shakira? But hmm. yeah, I do love that one. Um, it only gets to number four, but yeah. it has a place in my heart, at least. I have ended up enjoying Beautiful Liar more and more this week, mainly, though, because of a really easy comparison that's in the charts around the exact same time which is Usher and R. Kelly's Same Girl which is about two men you'll you'll start making connections here, it's about two men who realise that they've been sleeping with the same woman not knowing that they were both being played sound familiar? So obviously Beautiful Liar is about the same thing two women realising they've been sleeping with the same man not knowing that they were both being led on and backstabbed and what have you but where R. Kelly and Usher treat the whole thing as a pretty lame joke that sounds like something the Lonely Island would have abandoned after like one writing session the punchline (laughs) is they've not been sleeping with the same girl, they've been dating twins Um, Shakira and Beyonce really inhabit the betrayal felt by their characters and they give this a really furious you know fiery performance and it's backed up by that looping constantly suspended like acoustic guitar the it never resolves the the no, the, it doesn't. the the riff on the guitar that did 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 it's just constantly constantly tense um i think this is beyonce's best vocal performance that we've had so far um it's weird because the Latin pop styles in the back, you would expect this to be more like Shakira's event, but it's Beyonce's party and Shakira's done very well, but she's the one being invited along, if you will. And Beyonce makes this hers. She's more than a match for what is expected of her here, I think. And they make good collaborators together because of that. They share the stage very well. Beyonce definitely the furthest forward, but they Shakira does provide nice back into this and nice support. Um, and like you, Lizzie, I am also going to commend the writers for somehow managing to get Shakira Shakira into another hook despite having no resemblance to Hips Don't Lie. It's just, yeah, yeah I do feel like the... Beyonce, Beyonce, Shakira. That has lasted longer than the song itself. It's true. I think I agree with you two, though, that this doesn't have the... the I'm going to use a bit of a cop-out term, but it doesn't have the X factor to tip it over the edge. I do think it starts to run out of steam during that kind of instrumental section between sort of like the second and third choruses. and Because it, it puts it squarely in the mid-2000 for the wrong reasons because some songs did have a habit of this around the time where they would drop these long instrumental sections that serve very little purpose in audio form but they're just there for the music video so that Shakira and Beyonce can have a gyrating and dancing section for 20 seconds in the music video this happened in a few the the other one that Manita. I can remember and the other one, yes, and the other one I can remember straight off the top of my head is Buttons, um, where they have Ooh, the... Yeah. the <laughs> where they do a proper dance routine with all those chairs and everything. You know, they just take like 15, 20 seconds to play the main sample over and over, over a slightly more improvised and less structured drum track. It's almost kind of like Bollywood in that sense. It is a little bit, actually. Yes, I totally get what you mean. Um, We're also just entering that period where music video directors get wise to people ripping the songs off YouTube, and so they start muffling long sections of it to make those MP3 rips useless. Uh, We're not quite up to that bit yet, but I just thought I'd mention that. 
Um, this is good though. I prefer the slower version to the dance mix personally, um, which I feel like it because it spends less time with Shakira and Beyonce and just kind of speeds through their lines. It feels like I'm getting a a, a Cliff Notes version of the story that they're telling. <laughs> but they're both they're both uh, you know they're both definitely uh, worth. Uh, worth the sort of bit of digital space that they're printed on. Not quite the vault for this, um, but no, no. I think it'll be in our top ten come the end of the year, quite comfortably, actually. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. Cool. All right, then, moving on to our second song this week. It's this. Okay, this is Baby's Coming Back, double-A side with Transylvania by McFly. Released as the fourth single from the band's third studio album titled Motion in the Ocean, Baby's Coming Back with Transylvania is McFly's 13th single overall to be released in the UK and their seventh to reach number one. However, to date, it is their last number one and it's the last time we'll be coming to McFly on this podcast. Baby's Coming Back is a cover of the Jellyfish song, which reached number 51 in the UK in 1991. Baby's Coming Back with Transylvania went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Beyonce and Shakira off the top spot. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 31,000 copies, beating competition from Don't Matter by Akon, which climbed to number three, Flying the Flag for You by Scooch, which got to number five, What I've Done by Linkin Park, which climbed to number six, and Take Control by A. Marie, which climbed to number 10. When it was knocked off the top of the chart, Baby's Coming Back with Transylvania plummeted 19 places to number 20. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for five weeks. The song has never received any official certification from the British phonographic industry, and to date, it is the last ever double A-sided single to reach number one in the UK. I feel like we have momentous moments all throughout that. We have a ginormous, the biggest drop in the show's history so far, from from one to 20. We have the last double A-sided single. We have the shortest stay in the charts. Just, wow. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lizzie, Lizzie, how are we on this? It really does feel like the end of an era. Like, not just all of those things you mentioned, but yeah, the final McFly number one. 
feels like a bit of a shock to be saying goodbye to McFly. I want to say so soon. It's been three years, but given how often they've appeared on this podcast, you would have got the sense that they would have been around forever. And I guess this is still the period where you can, you know, you you go for five years and, and that's kind of it. Yeah. But yeah, I've really gained an appreciation for them through this podcast. And one half of this single is no exception. Like I'll get babies coming back out of the way fairly quickly. I think it's a decent cover of a mid-table Jellyfish song. I'm mostly just pleased to be able to say that Jellyfish have written a number one single, <laughs> which almost makes up for how underrated they are in general. Transylvania is definitely the highlight of this double A side, and probably their most adventurous single overall. It's this really fun balance between light and dark, and they manage to effortlessly blend like the gothic style of the verses with something reminiscent of Queen in the pre-chorus and the chorus and then into that gorgeous sunny Beach Boys-esque post-chorus to cap it all off. I'm sure you're all sick of me talking about jellyfish in relation to the fly by now but there's a similar blending of disparate styles on Spilt Milk which creates the effect of a mini rock opera contained within a four minute pop song. It makes for some genuinely exciting moments on Transylvania, like the full stop after the first chorus, which leads back into a more sinister sounding version of the verse. I only wish that that verse might have shown up again, and also that they would have saved the post-chorus until later on in the song. I do love that post-chorus, but I feel like they maybe show their hand with it a little bit too soon. And by the end, I feel like you've heard it a bit too often, which makes the outro a little bit less impactful than it otherwise could have been. Overall though, yeah, I'm a big fan of Transylvania, and had it been a single A-side, it probably would have squeezed into the vault for me. I think it's a solid way to go out, and hey, they still have a chance to born to run her up next year, don't forget. But yeah, love Transylvania, I'm kind of so-so on Baby's coming back, I can forgive it. Andy, how are we going to say goodbye to McFly then? Yeah, oh, I don't want to say goodbye to McFly. They just they feel part of the family now. I just want to keep them safe. Um, but yeah, I, I never thought I'd see the day where I was slightly harsher on McFly than Lizzie, to be honest. Because um, I, I do love them, I really do, and I've had basically nothing but compliments from them so far. And I still, like, still basically have nothing but compliments for them here. But I am not in love with Transylvania to be honest like I don't Ooh. I don't love it quite as much as you do and Baby's Coming Back it's this is a really interesting one this because I think I, I really like that they're showing their influences with you know just owning that jellyfish comparison and going straight for it but it, it's remarkable quite how heavy that influence is because it sounds like a totally straight down the line generic McFly single. Like it sounds like an AI generated McFly single from this era. Like it's so so them, but it isn't their song. That's like I can't think of a, another situation that I've ever seen like that where they are so like the thing they're imitating that when they do the thing they're imitating, it still just sounds like them. Oh, um, I know what you mean. It's like um, it's like when Dexys did Jackie Wilson says. It's a bit too close to your normal sound, and it's like, are you sure this is a cover? <laughs> like, hmm. 
Yeah. But I, I actually really like that they did that, that they, you know, they're given a platform to something that's clearly inspiring them and is a lot less popular, you know, in mainstream circles than them. I think that's really great and they do a really good job with it. Um, but it is sort of like always in the shadow of something like I'll Be Okay. I think that it's just sort of like that were better, to be honest. Um, or even like stuff that we haven't covered, like I Want to Hold You. You know, I just kind of wish that uh, I was listening yeah. to that instead of Baby Come- Baby's Coming Back, to be honest. Uh, but it is good. It's fine. Transylvania is a strange one. Like, they... I admire the effort. Like, there are not many things I would expect to hear less from McFly than starting with an extended use of bark like that's that's quite odd <laughs> <I'm> fly <laughs> to do that especially considering this is a double a side like i could totally get that from a b side where they you know might do something a bit different but for something that's supposedly you know an actual single to do that is um very unusual very unusual and i think that's probably part only part but part of the reason why this absolutely dropped like a stone out of the charts because this is pretty uncommercial for mcfly can't see this getting much radio airplay to be honest um i think it doesn't quite work for me just because it's not what i'm looking for from mcfly to be honest and that's totally on me that's me putting them in a box of i like them to be my kind of friendly you know boys next door catchy tunes kind of people and there's a bit of that here but i just think the kind of gothic influences and trying to get a little bit more out there and edgy it just doesn't really work for me i think i I just kind of wish they were staying in their lane a bit more to be honest which is really reductive i know and i don't want to you know say artists shouldn't experiment but i just think uh, it's i don't know i don't know there's something about it doesn't just really click with me to be honest um but it does have its good points most uh of most importantly of which is Dougie Pointers singing. Um, this is, I don't know if it's the only song that he ever sings lead vocals on, but it's one of the very few, at least. Um, and whoa, he can sing. I don't know why he didn't do more. Um, I know that they've got, you know, some very good vocalists already, but he hits some high notes in this song. He does a really good job with it and has a really lovely voice, which is kind of like. Tom's voice, but with a little bit more range and a little bit more grit. And Tom's already got a pretty good voice, to be honest. So, yeah, very impressed by Dougie on this. I'm glad for him to get that showcase. Um, but I, I just come away from the whole thing thinking, is this really a double A side? Am, am I sure that this isn't the B side? Because it's just so off the beaten track for them. Um, they do have a bit more stuff like this. I, I When I went through every album I own last year, I listened to Wonderland. Uh, which is one album before this, I think, and um, they ha- they do some fairly big swings on that, where they try and do like a part one and part two song, and they do like some kind of big big orchestral influences and things like that. So they're not completely, you know, in in um, in one little box, but I just think I like them when they're doing what they do best. Simple as that. Uh, and that might be a little bit unimaginative of me, but whatever. It's McFly. They're my lovely, friendly boy band, and I'd prefer them to be doing that, to be honest. So, yes, I like Babies Coming Back. I, I do like Transylvania, but not as much as Lizzie does. Um, I'm regretful that they're going out on what is, for them, a relatively, like, not a low note, but a relatively meh note. I do think, though, that that's only because the bar's been so high that basically everything else we've had from McFly... Apart from Don't Stop Me Now, everything else we've had from McFly, I've loved. 
Um, even ones that I haven't loved immediately, as they've sat with me for longer, I've been like, yeah, I actually really love that. Like, I'll be okay. Five Colors in a Hair, obviously. You know, just wonderful songs. And All About You and Stargirl are, like, some of the best number ones of the whole decade, I think. Um, so I'm really going to miss talking about them. They're brilliant. Um, I can't believe there was ever any argument between them and Busted. McFly are the absolute gold standard that Busted mm-hmm. wish they were. So, yeah, going to miss you, boys. Um, not going to miss Party Girl from t- 2010. That was a big <laughs> miss. But I, I do quite like a few ones that came out after that. I quite like Shine a Light. Uh, I really like Love is Easy. Uh, and I wish we got to cover those. So, yeah, it's a sad farewell to McFly. I wish you were going out something a little bit bigger than this but it's all right yeah this is okay yeah what do you think of one for the radio i like one for the radio yeah yeah um i think it relies a little bit too heavily on a hook that comes right at the start (laughs) i think it's weirdly built around like something that doesn't stick around very much uh but i do like one for the radio yeah i think the one that we're most deprived of that i wish i'd got number one was i want to hold you that's really really nice that one yeah Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Five weeks. Jesus. And I actually remember this. You know, that's a bit of a shock to, like, remember something so vividly and then come back and find it wasn't even in the charts for, like, a month. You know, it just about made it to, to a month. This wasn't even... This was in the charts for half of the time that the next song was at number one. <laughs> yeah. Hell. Um, wow. Yeah. I think that this being their last number one, they... They seem to use it for like a subject, a subtext jumps to text kind of moment where their 90s power pop influences wind up with them just covering Jellyfish. And it's, you know, it's a good cover, I think, you know, for the longest time. Andy, I think it was you that said something similar about this. I had no idea it was a cover, which kind of means that, you know, maybe I'm being too generous here with like my ignorance and stuff, but it never felt like a song that they shouldn't be covering. It just felt like an appropriately judged McFly song. Nothing that was really setting the world on fire. But it was like, oh mm. yeah, that, that's a McFly song. That definitely sounds like a McFly song. Which shows you how nicely they'd kind of fit into the shoes uh, of their forebears and of their influences. Um, Transylvania, on the other hand, uh, I really, really like it. If it was just on its own, I think I would also be putting it in the vault, Lizzie. Um, I think that um, McFly just to talk about its short stay in the charts i think mcfly we've established were really good at first week sales but then maybe not so great at second week sales you know that they were always very good at getting somewhere between 35 and 50,000 in the first week and then that was it you know and then they, they dropped to like number 6 or number 7 or number 8 you know but not to like number 20 <laughs> Uh, but I think that's probably explained by this being the fourth single from the album, which means that everyone who's going to want to part with cash for it already has because they've got the album or they've just gone and bought it in week one after some kind of campaign from the band. And so no one else is going to suddenly get on board with this. Not when you have a fairly, you know, fairly m- modest uh, R&B hit that's coming up next. Um, <laughs> but I think that I think it's just a sign as well that maybe McFly's star is starting to fall in the public eye a little bit, you know, because I think the next album they give it away for free with the mail. I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's right. Radioactive, that comes out free with the Daily Mail next year. Um, there's like three different versions of the album based on which copy of the mail you picked up. And they feel like the Kaiser Chiefs did something similar around the same time where they were like, build your own album. And it's like, 
if you need like a gimmicky release campaign is it not a sign that like your label is slightly worried that you wouldn't sell <laughs> um if you just did a standard album rollout because you know 2008 2009 there's a seismic shift coming and rock pop rock does not survive the seismic shift really um and yeah that is also kind of explained by his only being about three years away from Tyo Cruz and McFly working together. So, <laughs> um, I think Transylvania, though, is the best song that Elliot Minor never wrote. I would urge everybody listening right now to go and check out uh, things like The White One Is Evil or um, Parallel Worlds from Elliot Minor's first album, and then come back to this and try and separate them. It's not easy. You know, this is power pop by way of Victorian era gothic aesthetics. A great song. I think my my favourite part is that long outro, which I agree with you, Lizzie. I wish they had kept that. Um, Who is your lover? Uh, how can I tell? You know the the overlapping vocals. I wish they'd left that till mm. the end, because I agree that a lot like um, a weird one to suddenly bring up. I think it was the Hindu times we were discussing Oasis. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, where they just bring in that secret weapon they just bring it in too early so that by the time it comes around again you're a bit like oh okay um but when it comes in at the end and you have the lovely overlapping melodies and stuff it's like watching them dance over a hill in the distance and out of sight (laughs) but then they bring that pre-chorus back in just to round things off um i appreciate the attempts at the notes that dougie goes for in the chorus he is straining ever so slightly but in the context i can completely forgive it because He's not the usual singer, and B, he really makes it soar, and I think he makes a really good go of very difficult notes. You know, we, we were kind of discussing off air, is it the highest note delivered in full voice that we've had on any McFly song so far, or any McFly recording for that matter? You know, I the, think the, so. Yeah, yeah, it's really something. The, the, especially the, I mean, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to do it an octave below, but the, um, the ugly is the world we're on, it's like, that must be so difficult to go back up as well, that's insane breath control watching them do it live. Um, but I, I do, th- I do think that Transylvania is great. Um, are we gonna break the rules a little bit? Maybe put Transylvania just in the vault on its own? Could we do that? Mm, Could we make no. it just because it's our last number one? No, fine. No. Um, so <laughs> we can't. it's I'm sorry. Good, it's goodbye to McFly and goodbye to Double A sides, which. To be honest, I've never quite got my head around double A sides, and I think I've just disliked them more because it makes putting this podcast together much harder than it needs to be. I can't just play <laughs> one song and then go, hey, it was that. You know, I have to find a way to get the other one in somehow, but not treat it like a B side. But that's inevitable. And so I've never, that's why I've never got my head around it because it's like, oh, well, it's just a B side, isn't it? I like double A sides, but I do think. Um that part of the reason they went into decline is because people's just started treating it like a B-side that gets extra promo. This is actually a oh, yeah. prime example. The prime example, like, be honest, really, like, Transylvania is not the kind of thing McFly would ever have released on its own. Like, it needs support from another song, and if that's the case, it shouldn't really be a double A-side, really. Like, for me, double A-sides are, like, things that you would put back-to-back that are sort of both worthy of big airplay and so you get double bang for your book double exposure for the group they manage to turn you know 
one hit into two hits. Like, Mama slash Who Do You Think You Are, Spice Girls, is always an example I give, where two completely different songs, both really good, both get airplay, both get number one, both go big. Like, perfect. Or, you know, a more classic example, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. You know, just just show two sides of the coin at the same time, get two hits out of it. But the problem in the noughties is we've had ones like, do you remember Eternity slash The Road to Mandalay? Road to Mandalay, Mandalay, yeah. Williams, Of course, yeah. Where it's like, this is not an A-side, because you, you would never, ever release this unless it was being supported by a bigger song. Uh, and I think that's what killed the double A-side off, to be honest, is that people didn't really see the point of them anymore because they weren't, the point of them wasn't being followed anymore. Yeah. You know what I would say? I don't know if Halloween was much of a big cultural thing in 2007 like it is now. I feel like if they'd released this in October hmm. as an A-side. Maybe. Just maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. Just before we say goodbye to McFly, I do want to mention one thing about them, which I honestly can't remember if we've ever discussed before, but I do think it bears some tribute of just how young they were when they achieved all this like they are talented young men and i say young men because they're all within a couple of years of each other but for context dougie is still only 36 in the present day he was 19 on this on five colors in her hair he recorded that around his 16th birthday like this is just an insane level of talent and success from these people at such a young age it's extraordinary that none of them are even 40 yet, and this is like nearly 20 years on from their final number one. Uh, amazing. Just, I can't praise them enough for that. It's exceptional, yeah. Oh, goodbye, McFly. See you later. Hopefully we'll get to cover you again one day. Kind of doubt it, but <laughs> we live in hope. We live in hope. Of course. Uh, and so, <laughs> the final song up this week, third and final song, is this... In my stones, let it rain. I hide your plane in the bank. Coming down at the Dow Jones. When the clouds come, we go. We Rockefellers, we fly higher than weather. And G5s are better, you know me. In anticipation for precipitation, stack chips with a rainy day. Jay, Rain Man is back with Little Miss Sunshine. Rihanna, where you at? You have my heart, and we'll never be worlds apart. Maybe in magazines, but you. Still be my star, baby, cause in the dark, you can't see shiny cars, and that's when you need me there, with you I'll always share, because when the sun shines, we shine together, told you I'll be here forever, said I'll always be your friend, took a note, I'ma stick it out. Okay, this is Umbrella by Rihanna, featuring Jay-Z. 
released as the lead single from her third studio album titled Good Girl Gone Bad. Umbrella is Rihanna's sixth single overall to be released in the UK and her first to reach number one. And it's not the last time we'll be coming to Rihanna on this podcast. It's also not the last time we'll be coming to Jay-Z either. Umbrella went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking McFly off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for 10 weeks. 10 <gasps> weeks. Across its 10 weeks atop the charts, it sold 354,000 copies. Along the way, it beat competition from <sighs> Makes Me Wonder by Maroon 5, Real Girl by Mutia Buena, Either Way by The Twang, The Girls by Calvin Harris, Heavyweight Champion of the World by Reverend and the Makers, Icky Thump by The White Stripes, Aww. Do You Know by Enrique Iglesias, Like This by Kelly Rowland, Any Dream Will Do by Lee Mead, Smokers <laughs> Outside the Hospital Doors by Editors, Foundations by Kate Nash, Had That's Enough hard. by The Enemy, Worried About Ray by The Hoosiers, Torn on the Platform by Jack Pinate, When You're Gone by Avril Lavigne, Soulmate by Natasha Bedingfield, Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie, Fluorescent Adolescent by Arctic Monkeys, oh. Teenagers by My Chemical Romance, and Oh, oh My God by Mark Ronson featuring Lily Allen. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Umbrella fell two places to number three. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 71 weeks. The song is currently officially certified at three times platinum, so triple platinum in the UK as of 2024. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've never heard of this. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, nah. Andy, Umbrella, Rihanna, let's go. Stayed in the chart for 14 times as long as Baby's Coming Back. That is... <laughs> that stayed in the chart for about a month, and this stayed in the chart for nearly 18 months. That's incredible. Wow. Jesus. You know, it's funny you should say that, Robert, though. Oh, I've never heard of this one, because I this, this really managed to pass me by for ages. Not like I only heard it last week. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you on with that. But... It was probably a few months after this first got number one that I first heard it. Like, I'd heard the name around, people talking about Umbrella, but it was quite a while before I heard it on the radio, and I was like, oh, this is Umbrella. And my sister was in disbelief that I hadn't already heard it. It just so, I think I was just in my kind of peak, oh, only rock music matters, and, you know, pop music's for, for, for kids. You know, you know, I was just in that kind of phase at its very brief peak at this time. So... The Umbrella phenomenon just passed me by completely. Uh, but once I did hear it, I was like, oh, okay, yes, I see why this... I, well, to quote Homer Simpson, I can see why this is so popular. Uh, yes, mm. it's quite the banger. That's a technical term. It's quite the banger, this one. It's almost hard to kind of get into why, to be honest. It's, I don't really know what it is about it. There's just a lot of little things. I um, I've previously given huge praise to Crazy by Niles Barkley for managing to be recognisable just from one bass note and also to My Chemical Romance for being recognisable for one piano note at the start. This one is, isn't even a note. It manages to be recognisable just from a closing of a hi-hat, um, which is extraordinary. Like I don't know what was done on the production there or what it is about it that makes it so instantly recognisable. But yeah, it just hits really hard. I really, really like that 
this happened to Rihanna as well because this has this weird effect really where it almost feels like a debut single like she's storming in with this big hit like Britney did with Baby One More Time or something like that it feels like a statement of intent of Rihanna has arrived but of course it's not the case at all she's had a few near misses at number one she's been plugging away for a couple of years now uh, with some really nice songs like Unfaithful um, which haven't made it really and now we get this and it feels like an artist's work paying off which I always really like to see. It's like, right, now we've figured it out. Rihanna has arrived now. Um, and the days of her not being a megastar seem almost inconceivable, really, uh, looking back now. I do think she has a few too many number ones coming up. Uh, a few of them are quite worthy of it, especially in the tens. Uh, but for now, I'm really, really happy she's arrived on the scene. She has this very kind of... Oh, how to put this? Her voice is like just on the right side of being moany where it's like it's very expressive and very kind of with a lot of angst in it without <laughs> it being moany it never gets like grating or annoying and that's the perfect kind of voice for the song where it's like it's kind of longing and it's you know really trying to get into your ear and reach you and seduce you but without it ever coming across as cloying or over the top or over earnest uh, her voice just fits the song like a glove um, everything that Jay Z does to it really adds to it as well. That um, it, it will forever remind me. This whole song, by the way, forever reminds me of this. But it uh, will forever remind me of the cringeworthy white rapping of Artie from Glee, who does Jay Z's bits uh, when they cover it. <laughs> by the way, that cover in Glee, oh, that's just the most Glee thing that ever happened. Where they mash it up with "Singing in the Rain," um, starring Gwyneth Paltrow and. Will Schuster, without any of the kids really getting involved. That's the most glee thing that ever happened. Um, Also, shout out to the Tom Holland uh, lip sync, which happened about, I don't know, about five, six years ago now. Just, like, very soon after Tom Holland arrived on the scene. And uh, it's just a genuine cultural reset. An incredible moment. Uh, But, like, there's so many things that come to mind with this song because it has had such a big influence. Like, this whole basic idea of umbrellas and rain and you know really play on that umbrella hook and on that umbrella idea and make a whole like theme out of it in both the video and the song it just is just absolute lightning in a bottle it really works i love the story that um that they they had to ban umbrellas from rihanna concerts because so many people were bringing them in to put up during (laughs) the song and it was taking people's eyes out um it just it just really captures something this simple idea of uh, using your umbrella like a cane and doing that in a kind of sexy fashion with a really, really strong hook built around that word umbrella. It's so accessible. It's so easy to get into. And so everybody does get into it. It kind of makes pop music not look like rocket science uh, when it is really hard. It's not rocket science, but it is really, really hard. And this song makes it look so easy. And that's the biggest compliment I can give to it, really. And final shout out, another little splash that this made is in Britain's Got the Pop Factor in 2008, uh, where Geraldine McQueen is doing a long medley of several songs and transitions from free Nelson Mandela Ella, Ella, A, A, A. Uh, yeah. But yes, what a song, what a hit, what an impact. Um, I don't think it's like incredible. Like it doesn't hit me in the heart in any way, to be honest, because it's not that kind of song. And I don't think it's like reinvents the wheel. I don't think it like changes the industry or like, 
you know, brings anything particularly new to the table, if I'm honest. And so that's kind of, you know, the points that I would deduct from it. But it's just a perfect encapsulation of just, this is just a great pop song that knows exactly what it's going to do, executes it perfectly, and ties so much into that, you can't really escape its influence. It's just a really, really great pop song that knows exactly what it's trying to do, executes it perfectly, ties so much into that idea, uh, and so its influence is inescapable. It's just, it's just great. I love it. Few notes at the beginning. Interesting that you mentioned Britney at the start of your analysis mm-hmm. there, because this was originally considered to be given to Britney Spears yeah. when it uh, was being written. She's got quite the track record of turning down future Rihanna hits. Uh, she's not very good at it. She turned down S and M. She turned down We Found Love. She's not. She's not good. Oh, wow. uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> she's given Rihanna a few own goals, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and Rihanna turned down Do It Like a Dude for Jesse J. What a mistake, Rihanna. Uh, oh um, no. <laughs> <laughs> good girl gone bad. Um, I still wonder if this is the album which has had the most singles released from it in like the 21st century. Because yeah. they did Good Girl Gone Pad, which had Umbrella, Shut Up and Drive, Hate That I Love You, Don't Stop the Music, and Rehab all released. And then they re-released it with Good Girl Gone Bad Reloaded, which then had Take a Bow, If I Never See Your Face Again with Maroon 5, and Disturbia added on to the end. And so that's eight singles from one and a bit albums. Um, if I never see your face again, probably the the one that kind of lets the side down there. But um, before we start on Umbrella, just wanted to extend a little shout out to Foundations by Kate Nash, because <laughs> doing the research for this episode, oh god, it's enough to make you weep for the song. So <laughs> I'm not massively keen on Foundations, but it does get a rough deal here. So it goes straight in at number two, then it stays there for two weeks, drops down to number three then goes back up to number two for three consecutive weeks. All of this is while Rihanna is at number one. And then what knocks Rihanna off number one? Not Foundations. Because <laughs> it drops from two <laughs> to four. And then that's it. So I just felt so sorry for it while I, was, uh, while I was putting the research together. I remember the Rihanna curse very well because I was on holiday in a tent in Cornwall while this was number one. Uh, midway through its run, it went from week six to week seven. Uh, I think while it was uh, while it was on holiday, um, in the field that we were in, uh, in Cornwall, every single tent blew down in a storm except ours. We were right by a bush, a big, huge hedge thing that like protected our tent. It got so bad in the night that I slept in the car one night because I couldn't hack sleeping in a tent. I've always hated sleeping in tents. Um, and we got up the next morning to find that every single person in the field, except us, their tent had collapsed in the night and we were protected by this big hedge. And it was, oh God, there was rain running down, like running through people's tents and like actual streams had developed across pitches where tents were supposed to be. And this is supposed to be Cornwall. You don't go there for rain. <laughs> it's the one bit of the UK where people actually go, going to get a bit of sun, going to go to Cornwall. We're staying in a lovely place called Perrinporth. The weather did sort of improve. I think we were at the back end of the bad weather. But I will always associate things like Reverend and the Makers being in the charts. And also, uh, People Help the People by Cherry Ghost was um, also being played on Radio 1 quite a lot at that time, uh, on that particular holiday. Um 
Oh, yeah, thank you, Rihanna. Ruining the summer in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that Umbrella is great, but only just. It's weird. We'll get to that. I think it's kind of great in spite of itself. It's a fantastic song in slightly the wrong hands, I think. Um, but anyway, so from the crash of the hi-hat, you're in. It's like a part of you has been unlocked that's always been there. It's a great intro, right up there with Superstition and Rosanna and Led Zeppelin's rock and roll for like absolutely cracking drum intros. Uh, and then you get Jay's intro, which sounds a bit like he's been asked to come into the studio before his morning coffee, but it contains just about enough life to be entertaining, builds up enough anticipation for Rihanna's grand entrance. And it's interesting, Andy, that you made the observation about this feeling like a big relaunch for Rihanna, which the album title fits in with expertly. Good Girl Gone Bad, it's like, sends a message. It's like, she they'd already mm. kind of tested the waters with something like SOS, which is a bit racier than something like um, uh, if, if It's Loving That You Want which is all kind of, you know, sun-kissed and innocent, and if it's loving that you want, you should take a walk with me, and all, all this stuff, you know. Like, but then SOS was a bit more, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in love and it's stressful, whereas this is a bit more, you know, it, there's, there's, a, there's an edge to this, and it's like, Rihanna's here, and, she's a, and then, like, her next song is just, like, a long euphemism for sex. So, like, you know, <laughs> it's like, we, we've entered a new era for Rihanna, and Jay-Z tries to do the crazy in love thing again, but it's not quite on the same level. But crazy, crazy in love is obviously, like, one of the stellar pop recordings of the 2000s. Um, once Rihanna arrives, I think she does a fairly good job with the material. I kind of agree with you, but slightly disagree with you, Andy, on Rihanna as a vocalist. We've just had Beyonce on, and there's no song of hers I would ever give to someone else instead, but I can't really say the same of Rihanna. I actually think she whines a lot, especially on her more maudlin material. Like, Unfaithful is quite hard for me to listen to. Unfaithful is a bad, bad vocal recording. I don't understand how people didn't really see it at the time. But then again, Jagged Little Pill is one of the biggest selling albums of all time, and I've never really got on with Alanis Morissette's voice either. Is it possible for Alanis Morissette to finish a sentence without going, here? Um, just <laughs> apparently not. Um, but thankfully, all of Rihanna's worst instincts are kept out of the way by the material. That, do you, do, oh, sorry, do, do you not think so? I don't know. I mean, I really I'm like her. But I'm sober. I'm I really like her. <laughs> She's not the only one who does that. No, but there are people who are far worse for those vocal inflections. But it is quite accurate, yeah. Yeah, you could say the same about the cranberries, maybe, but I don't know. Don't you? Yeah, you stay away from them. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, but like, yeah. So all of Rihanna's worst instincts, though, are kind of kept out of the way by the material that she's been given and the way that she's managed here. I actually think she brings a bit of edge to this that doesn't exactly make it sound sinister, but appropriately, there is a cloud hanging over it, especially in moments like where. Um, she has to sort of go deeper into her chest for the um, sort of like, I'll be all you need and more, you know, like really trying to bring it into that final chorus with a bit of force and a bit of punch. And I, I do think she does provide that in places. Um, and I think that a lot of it has to do with the way that sometimes they double up Rihanna's vocals like she's all around you. Um, I think, though, the mastering and equalization suck on this. The mids are miles back 
and I think that they should be louder and noisier. It's all voice and drums, but all the synth work in the middle is just like, where is it? Where is it? You know, you have to squint your ears to kind of find it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But then when you do find it, that bass synth that comes through under the chorus, again with that kind of gnarly, dark texture, that's great. That's like, when it's there, when you you can hear it kind of fuzzing, I think. And, you know, despite, you know, that it's not in the best hands that I think it could possibly be in, I do think that what we end up with is something very strong and very memorable and something that maybe didn't deserve 10 weeks at number one, especially with a couple of the songs that we've gone past this week um, that didn't get to number one. But what makes it a worldwide smash is the... Ella, Ella, eh, eh, which is just, it is one of the best writing decisions that has ever been made in pop. That is genius. That is a genius hook. That's the kind of shit that every songwriter wishes they could write. It's those kind of instincts that make the big bucks in pop. You know, it's just an insane decision that raises the entire song a level up. You know, I just think that that alone, the hi-hat and the Ella is, like, what this song survives on. Everything else in the middle is... And, you know, the the verses are fine. It's just kind of, like, a repetitive, nicely delivered melody. It's just... Not that complex, kind of sparse, but, you know, memorable enough chorus yeah pretty decent you know rihanna's giving it a good go but it's the ella ella uh, that and the the that both of those things are just instantly recognizable and they're the kind of things that where you're just like you just sort of have to stand back and go yeah fair enough like there's clearly something magical happened there inside somebody's head that's made them think this is where we're going to build the song from. And the two things that they build the song from are the two strongest parts of it, I think. Um, and then I think, you know, towards the end, you get some nice little additional melodies like the, um, it's raining, raining, oh baby, it's raining, you know, like a little bit of like a coda section. Um, I think we get a better Rihanna number one further down the line, which maybe doesn't have the peaks of the hi-hat and the Ella, but overall, I think, is a better song and a better display of Rihanna's growth as a vocalist. Because I think that she's still a bit in her nose here. Um, she stepped up a bit from Unfaithful, I think. Um, I've always found Unfaithful very difficult to listen to, but Umbrella, absolutely not. Um, Lizzie, how are we? Uh, how are we on Umbrella? Yeah, I agree strongly with both of you on this. I think it's very good i think there are some things that could be improved about it um for one i'd get rid of the rap at the beginning it's Mm. one of jay-z's weakest verses it doesn't need to be there but rob i agree with you that the two best parts about it are that that drum beat and the l-a-a-a and the fun thing about that is that one of them is a happy accident and one of them is just a kind of um it's a kind of making good with what you have sort of thing. They're both kind of related, but I'll tell the story of the LAA first. This is from um, the one of the producers, The Dream, who he's kind of annotated this on Genius, and he's put that 
quote, everyone who runs Pro Tools and understands this is you have the option of certain plugins you want to use before your computer actually slows down and you can't use it anymore. <laughs> the reverb one was just one I said I'm not going to use. Instead, I would sing those lines repetitively myself to actually fill that thing in. Just a silly thing that turned into, oh yeah, I should probably do that all the time. So there you go. That's how the LAAA came about. It was just supposed to be like a an echo or a reverb, but he kind of took it upon himself to just say, hey, why don't we just vocalise it? And yeah, it works. Hmm. And the drum beat, do you know what this comes from? It's just a garage band loop, isn't it? It's just a garage band yeah. loop. And here I was for the longest time thinking it was like the meters or something. No, it's just this free loop <laughs> on garage band. And yeah, it's because... It, you know, it comes from a producer who doesn't have a lot of money to work with, but they've used that to their advantage. And they've used that to kind of craft something compelling. And straight off the bat, that drum beat is a perfect decision because it sounds big. It sounds huge. Mm. I agree with you, Rob, that I wish the mids were more prominent in this at parts. But yeah, straight away, this sounds like a big record it sounds like the sort of record that it is it is Rihanna's big kind of coming out party in a sense yeah and yeah it it works it kind of, I think this more than anything landed Rihanna on the map it's sort of her crazy in love I'd say crazy in love is better but this yeah like I say it lands her on the map and she is a constant fixture in pop for a good seven years after this and then she kind of bows out and becomes one of these big beauty industry moguls so I don't think she needs pop anymore Mm. but while she was there she had the you know she had her hits and her misses but this is definitely one of the better ones really like this so before we check what's going into the pie hole and what's going into the vault it's another feature for 2007 of this did Rob buy it on iTunes uh, section. So we're going to go through the list now. So we've got Makes Me Wonder by Maroon 5. Everything is Average Nowadays, Kaiser Chiefs, Generator by The Holloways, um, Here in Your Arms <laughs> by Hello Goodbye, The Girls by Calvin Harris, C- uh, Cupid's Chokehold slash Black Breakfast in America, uh, Gym Class Heroes and Patrick Stump, Over My Head, Cable Car by The Fray, it's Not Over Yet by The Claxons, Either Way by The Twang, um, I Bought Umbrella, uh, heavyweight Champion of the World by Reverend of the Makers. Uh, I'm Not Sorry by Pigeon Detectives. Um, Don't Matter by Akon. Helicopter by Block Party. I'm proud of that one. Um, Be My Enemy by The Departure. Ashes Embrace Signal Fire by Snow Patrol, as oh. featured in the motion picture Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Be My Enemy. That must have been a FIFA purchase. Uh, people Help the People by Cherry Ghost. Follow My Ruin by Royksop. Yeah, definitely into FIFA soundtrack territory here. Uh, Welcome to Jamrock by uh, Damien Marley. Heartbeats by Jose Gonzalez. Um, Worried About Ray by The Hoosiers. Uh, Torn on the Platform, Jack Pinate. Do You Know the Ping Pong Song by Enrique Iglesias. Uh, oh My God, Mark <laughs> Ronson. Fluorescent Adolescent. Um, Big Girl, You Are Beautiful. Get Down by uh, Groove Armada. Uh, Do It Again by Chemical Brothers. Secret Sunday Lover by Ali Love, if anybody remembers that. Um, Had Enough by The Enemy. Fans by Kings of Leon. 
Teenagers, My Chemical Romance, Smokers Outside the Hospital Doors by Editors, uh, Decided to Buy Blue Monday by New Order, and Decided to Buy Popcorn by Hot Butter. (laughs) 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 I'm such a strange (laughs) 12-year-old. I turned 13, uh, actually, during this period. It's funny, because we mentioned um, Shrek the Third. I think I've seen that movie... I went to see it in the cinema and I saw 20 minutes of it because there were 10 of us. It was my 13th birthday. We all did an all-nighter the night before and we all sat on the back row of the cinema trying desperately not to fall asleep in the dark and then all of us periodically falling asleep. And I remember waking up halfway through the movie during a scene where, like, the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin plays <laughs> during while a fight scene starts. And then I remember going... I think I just want to go back to sleep, to be honest. And we all kind of like <laughs> tried to not fall asleep in front of our friends while we were all falling asleep in front of our friends. It's very funny. So, Andy, um, Beautiful Liar, Baby's Coming Back, and Transylvania, Umbrella. Um, Pie Hole, Vault, how are we feeling? Um, beautiful Liar, it's not a beautiful Volta, but it's also not a beautiful Pie Holer. I don't know. Need to workshop that one. Um, <laughs> baby's coming back. Um, I don't know where it's coming back to, but it's not the vault and it's not the pie hole. Uh, <laughs> as for umbrella, uh, it's going in the vault. Yes, I have no pun for that one. Someone help me out. But it's going in the vault. Absolutely, of course it is. Of course it is. It's umbrella. God, of course it is. Yeah. Cool. Um, Lizzie, uh, Beyonce and Shakira, McFly, Rihanna. Um, Beyonce and Shakira, going nowhere, nowhere. It is going nowhere. Um, Transylvania. Hmm. It's going nowhere. How can you tell? It's going nowhere. Good enough. And Umbrella is going in the vault. Vault, vault. (laughs) Yeah, it's going in the vault. Um, But the other two go nowhere. Cool. Uh, Beyonce and Shakira, they just miss out on the vault for me, as do McFly. Goodbye, McFly. Uh, but Umbrella just sneaks in. Just sneaks in. Just sneak it in, like the bottom, very, very bottom rung of the uh, of the vault. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. When we come back, we'll be continuing our journey through 2007. So take care, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. I will make... Colors faded into darkness I-